This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Jeff's back on Monday. Enjoying the sunny Florida beaches. Again, I keep doing this to myself. Like, Annie's on the West Coast. She's in California. Why do I keep doing this to myself? Annie O'Donnell, host of the OD on Sports Podcast, joins me. Annie, I've been complaining about the cold all day today because it's like, it, even for a Canadian, it's it's frigid. Um, make me feel better. Is it at least nice where you are? I mean, it's early in the morning. So, well, I mean, I guess for you, it would be nice. It's like 40s right now, but it'll get higher up back into the 60s as the sun starts yeah. to come up. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I don't know if that makes you feel any better. but I feel, I feel better. How is your... How, Okay, so for those that don't know, Annie is one of the biggest Corey Perry fans out there. She even has a mug with Corey Perry's face on it, apparently, that I, that I saw on Instagram. How was your how was your coffee out of your Corey Perry mug? Was it extra uh, snaky this morning? <laughs> it was fantastic. It's the picture of him um, from the Stanley Cup final in, uh, what was it, 2020? And he's, like, looking up at the ref, like, what, the, what, like, all innocent? Like, I'm not doing anything. Um, but... No, it's great. Um, nice and hot. Maybe a little wormy. Uh, just like figured it was the best way to prepare for getting on this show to talk about whatever we're going to talk about. Like, all-star game we're talking about. So well, I was like, that. Ah. Yeah. Well, let's start Let's start there. Because if, if there's anybody that I trust their opinion on jerseys, it's you. Um, because, because you know. What do you think about these all-star jerseys? Because I personally love them. I love them too. I think I've been so critical in the past of past all-star jerseys for the NHL because they've just been so boring and so just color scheme wise. And like, you see what they're trying to do. I did like the ones in San Jose. Uh, the, I think they did the black and gray. I thought those were cool, but like in the, like last year's with the red and the blue, I didn't like. And then there was that one year where they did like the blue blit base like black or maybe it was orange or something. But this one, I love that they stuck with the reverse retro uh, concept and they took the 90s um, 90s all-star jerseys and mixed them with the, um, was it the Miami Vice colors? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. I will say I do like the West jerseys better than the Eastern one. I like the white base better than the black. Yeah. But beautiful jerseys i imagine these these have to be doing just monumentally better than all-star jerseys in the past because I, I don't know about you but i've never purchased an all-star jersey just because all-star games for me i'm kind of eh, like i'd rather have like an actual jersey but these this one's this one made me double take a bit this one made me kind of maybe not reach for my wallet but consider reaching for it but uh i just saw some of the prices that um i think in calgary they're charging for a nazim Kadri, you know pressed on jersey upwards of like 300 bucks i'm like oh okay maybe not (laughs) so i i've been trying to i don't have any pull whatsoever but the strings that i'm trying to pull are not working to get a jersey sent over here so i my so i can't help you in that regard either okay so you you mentioned that you're not the biggest fan of the all-star weekend and all-star game and that's fine like there's no issue with that but my my thing has always been imagine caring so much about an exhibition because that's what it is an exhibition that you spout off on it as if there's a reason to do so because at the end of the day i said it's for kids and sponsors and that's that's fine um but what do you say to people that have an opinion that is so hard and fast on the all-star game and all-star weekend in general you know, we've been seeing a lot of takes, especially uh, with the voting process and some of the players that were selected. 
And at the end of it, you said it perfectly. It's for the fans. It's for the sponsors. Uh, you know, this game is not really about getting the, you know, the league's best players in one spot anymore. It's about, you know, growing the game. That's why there's, it's important for teams to have, you know, one participant, you know, the, the league emphasizes like, Hey, every team should be represented by at least one player. And a lot of people don't agree with that, but for the purpose of the game, you know, for growth, for sponsorship, for raising money. Yeah, it's absolutely, you should absolutely have, one player from each game, but now that it's not really about collecting talent there, um, I do like the skills competition. I will say that's mm-hmm. my favorite part of the weekend. Um, I, of the game I really couldn't care less about, but um, you know, the fact that, you know, you emphasize that, you know, having one player from each team, but you know, as a Ducks fan here, Troy Terry's not involved at all in the skills competition. And Troy Terry's a damn good hockey player. So there's no reason why he shouldn't be in the skills competition. So that's my only, I mean, I know you said, why do people have a hard take about, about this fun weekend? But that's my only, my only gripe currently, that and their choice of celebrities that they have for celebrity judges. Although I'm very happy to see they don't have John Hamm on panel this year trying to sway the breakaway challenge voting. Well, there's no St. Louis Blues in it, I don't think so. Although there might be. Yeah, I haven't exactly. gone through the, the whole <laughs> list, so he would be a little bit biased. Um, okay, so you talked about uh, the, the skills competition. And one, one event specifically that I think could could be something really spectacular if they would just have specialists in it, and that's the breakaway challenge. Because we saw Trevor Zegers be brought to the All-Star game last year, and he was incredible. Like, the Pete LaFleur thing was amazing, um, and the right. move itself was something that I could only dream of doing. But do you <laughs> think that's an event where they should probably do it? Like, or, or for that matter... The whole skills competition, have some of your all-stars in it, yes, but bring in specialists that, you know, like a guy like Ryan Pulock has one of the hardest shots in the NHL, but he's probably not going to make the all-star game, but he should, he deserves to be in that competition. Do you think that's something that the NHL should uh, at least consider going forward and having specialists in certain events? 1,000%. I mean, you brought up Trevor Zegers. He wasn't uh, voted to the all-star game, but they brought him in for the breakaway challenge and easily... The one thing from that weekend people still talk about is Trevor Seekers' breakaway challenge move. And that move, of course, went viral. And as most, a lot of things that Trevor Seekers does, you know, for the purpose, like I said, for the purpose of the all-star game, you want to grow, you want to reach new audiences, you want to create a fun event for the fans. That's what does it. And, you know, the breakaway challenge is probably one, I mean, just as far as creativity goes, probably my favorite event. And I'm excited to see what Sid and Ovi have thought up because they're doing it together it's funny because you have like Ovi who's just this big personality funny out there and then you have Sid who is completely not so it'll be interesting to see what they come up with but I absolutely absolutely bring in specialists you know because some of these guys yeah all around they're all stars are well known but they're, as you said they're specialists on teams that hey probably wouldn't be voted if they weren't you know probably wouldn't be voted if they were put up you know against these guys and I just think it makes me think back to you know how some teams do their own uh, skills competitions. Mm-hmm. I know they did that over over the holiday break. I remember going to a Ducks one uh, like ten years ago, and they had the accuracy challenge. Of course, you had Getz, Pears, uh, you know, Timu doing it, but then you had George Peros come up, and he's the only guy that got all four targets on four shots. But George Peros wasn't getting invited to an All Star game, and back then, of course, the skills competition wasn't a thing. So we have specialists on these teams. I think it would be cool to see them uh, get their shot at All-Star Weekend. It's funny that you mentioned the the George Peros thing because I always tell people, like, there's always the, and this is this is just an aside from, from our All-Star conversation, but 
I always tell people, like, you have no idea how good these guys are. Even the guys that sit on the bench, the guys that play in the AHL, they're like, oh, this guy sucks. Like, yeah, yeah, he sucks. Well, he got to the NHL, and if you watched him practice and play, he's really good. Like, Colton Orr was a fighter, and I can't remember who it was that told me this story. But they were they were skating with Colton Orr, and he was going, and he was dangling guys, and he was ripping the puck top corner and blasting slap shots, and nobody could touch him. And they're like, well, he's a fighter in the NHL. It's like, yeah, but he had to get there. You don't get there yeah. by accident anymore. <laughs> like, that's why the George Peros thing, like, some people are listening, going, oh, that's really odd that George Peros could do that. It's like, well, George Peros could play in the NHL. Like, you don't get there by not having a certain skill set. Now I feel like I'm talking about Liam Neeson. But anyway, um, okay, so <laughs> what? when you look back on, you know, watching the skills competition, is there one particular moment that kind of sticks out for you? Because I mentioned with, it with Elliot Friedman, and I said, you know, the, the Ray Borg hitting all four targets, the, you know, even the ally of Frady, the slap shot with, you know, 105 miles an hour with a wooden stick, and that skullet, mullet, whatever we want to call it, was one of the greatest things ever. Is there one moment that kind of sticks out to you that you'll, you think about and you go, I, I'm never going to forget that for whatever reason. Um, it's a tie for me. Uh, Kendall Coyne Schofield yeah. absolutely annihilating the fastest skater competition. in yeah, San that, was Jose. Great. that was, I mean, you still see clips of that and just like the look of the players of how impressed of the, how impressed they were with her speed. I think that, Oh, it was so cool, especially just not only being in California where we're still trying to grow the game of hockey, but just exposure for, you know, the women's team and, you know, women's hockey. I absolutely loved it. Uh, but the breakaway challenge, I think, you know, these guys, you know, hockey players are known and have this stereotype for not really having a personality, but this is a, a time for them to really shine and show what they can do. Anytime, any of those moments for me, like, um, what was that? I think it was in Montreal, uh, this when Ovi and uh, Malkin did their little where mm-hmm. Ovi had Malkin a part of his uh his he had the, the Canadian and, flags on his hat on his fishing hat yes, yeah yes yeah. yes yep and he was putting Gatorade into his mouth the Patrick Kane Superman one I thought was cool Corey Perry with the mini stick um eh, I'm trying to think uh oh wait was it Nashville when uh, I think it was James Neal that brought out Dirk Bentley and he's trying to yes he's trying to escape <laughs> Just like fun, creative moments like that, I absolutely love. So those are the ones that probably stick out to me the most. Okay, on to the the All Star Game itself, and I and I don't I don't think that there's a there's a way to do it. Like I was watching highlights because like my the two my two favorite All Star moments. Um, number one was Ray Bork scoring the winner uh, for the East in in the All Star Game in Boston. That would have been uh, in '96. And then the other one, of course, is Owen Nolan calling a shot against one of the greatest goaltenders of all time, and Dominic Hasek picking the corner, the top corner for his hat trick. But like when I look back at those moments, I mean, the the All Star Game when you watch then was a little bit more competitive than it is now. Now it it really is an exhibition and. Like, there's no perfect way to to have this all-star game. Nobody wants to get hurt. There's too much money at stake here for these guys. Like, right. is there is there something that maybe you think you could tinker with a little bit to make it more intriguing? Or is it, this is the way it is. This is how it's going to be. I'm not going to be, you know, it's, it's not my favorite thing, but I'm okay with it because I know it can't change. It's interesting. I, I think about this a lot. And, you know, every time you kind of, think about ways you can, you know, kind of adjust it and things you're obviously sacrificing on one end. 
And I, even though the All-Star Weekend is not my favorite thing as a fan, I do know that there's people that love it, people that travel for it, get excited for it, and I know it does a lot for whatever team's hosting it. So I, it does provide a lot of good. And, you know, for me personally, if, like, I know it doesn't mean much right now. The Ducks are bottom of the league. But if hey, if my team's competitive, if my team's gearing up for a cup run or trying to get into a playoff spot, I would rather have them take the week, take the week off, rest. Personally, even though I know they're not trying their best and, you know, you got to, like you said, injuries, too much money at stake, all that. But I also, I feel like, you know, the, the what is the one game suspension or one game that they have to sit out if they choose to opt out of All-Star Weekend, I think that's so stupid. I think if you want to prioritize, you know, family, if you want to prioritize your health, that should get rid of that rule. I think that's dumb. Um I mean, I like the changes that they've done with the All-Star game already to make it slightly more entertaining, but uh, it's, it's, I'd have to think on that one a little bit more. But yeah, it's I a tough keep one. It as is. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one because at the end of the day, like I said, like nobody wants to get hurt in these games. It is just an exhibition. I, I think the the event for every – the skills competition is the one that everybody has the most fun with, as they should. And I think that's what right. – the I think the focus that the NHL has put on that and changing up the events and – and doing things a little bit differently. Like, you know, we saw it last year in Vegas. We saw them, you know, do the the um the the shots at the the Bellagio fountain. We saw them do the 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 blackjack thing outside. Like those things are different and and those are fun. And you know, I think the players appreciate that as well. We only got a few minutes left because I so I have to ask you about this. Um you mentioned it, your ducks this year, they suck. Um, it's been a rough <laughs> year, and it's only gonna get worse when they start trading away some more veteran players. So how far do you think yep. the cuts go? Like, we know they want to move John Klingberg and probably Shattenkirk and Kulikov, but do you think that it goes as far as, like, an Adam Henrique or a uh, Jakob Silverberg? I would not be shocked if Adam Henrique has moved at the deadline. It'll definitely take some salary retention on the Ducks' end, which they can absolutely take on right now. And given the fact that, hey, we're still three, maybe, you know, maybe three, four years out from being a competitive team, that's something that, Hey, we can take on, you know, 20, whatever it be, 25% of his salary. I'm just throwing numbers out there. But especially with the news that Mark Stone just had back surgery and is out for the, you know, foreseeable future, I imagine after back surgery, you're not coming back in two months for the Stanley Cup playoffs. But if I'm Vegas, I'd be call I'd be calling Pat Verbeek and asking about Adam Henrique. Um you said I definitely Shattenkirk and Klingberg absolutely get moved. Um, hopefully we can get, I mean, wishful thinking. I think with Klingberg, if we get a second round pick, I'll be happy. Maybe if, if it's first, I'll be ecstatic. I don't think we'll get a first, first round pick for him. Um, I think as far as, I mean, people were toying around with the, I've heard people toying around with John Gibson. I don't think he gets moved. Of course, he's always tossed around at the deadline. People always saying, oh, well, guys, you know, teams need goalies right now, but I think there's a, uh, you know, with the news that Thatcher Demko might be on the market, I think he's the hot ticket right now, even though he is injured. But um, it'll be, in, you know, this is Pat Verbeek's second deadline, but full one, you know, as the GM. It'll be interesting to see what he does, but I definitely expected him to be very busy. Okay, now my next question is, how much Connor Bedard have you been trying to watch? Because, like, the other night we saw he, there was a sellout in Calgary at the Saddle Dome for Regina Pat's uh, Calgary Hitman game, which was... You know, the Flames have had three sellouts all year and the Hitmen have won because Connor Bedard was in town. He's been incredible. Like, I know the NHL Network, Some I know the game the other night was on NHL Network, but as a fan of a team that is where they are in the standings, 
How much do you how much do you dream of Connor Bedard in a Ducks jersey? Because, you know, this he's at a, his point streak as of the other day was like 35 games. He has 44 goals and 87 points in that streak. Like we're talking about a franchise changing player for an organization that missed out on Sidney Crosby. It's, I mean, it doesn't help that, you know, like Bar Down and TNT are putting all these, you know, are editing Bedard on all these jerseys and you just see him in a Ducks uniform. And it just, it, it gets your mind going. You're like, oh, could you imagine him in that lineup? And I guess he says that Mason McTavish has texted him <laughs> a few times after they've lost. But, I mean, it's it would be it's something as a sports fan you only dream about. I mean, it, it, we're talking guys up there with, you know, like you said, franchise play, changing players up there with the McDavid's, the Crosby's, things like that. And the Ducks have never had a first overall pick in their entire existence as a franchise. And just given the talent that we have right now, the young talent uh, on the team and down, you know, to, in the in the pipeline, it would be an absolute dream. And it would be, I mean, if you're the NHL, like, granted, yes, you've got, you know, your Chicago that's down there, you know, an original six franchise. But if you want to grow the game, if you want to reach new markets, I, oh my gosh, having him in Southern California, having this young, exciting team, Oh, it would be incredible, and it would be so great for Southern California hockey. I, I, I do dream about it, to answer your question. Yes, absolutely. I am just speaking it into existence. I mean, the whole thing with Gary Bettman saying that teams, you know, nobody's purposely tanking. I'm like, all right, Gary, okay. Let's, uh, I don't know, let's, maybe purposely tanking is not the right word, but, you know, given the way the season's going right now and the, the lack of changes that Pat Verbeek is making, like, it maybe not purposely, but not like trying to re reroute the tank. If you know what I'm saying, I'm but not. I'm not trying I, to win, but I'm not. I'm. Tr- I'm not trying to lose, but I'm not trying to win. Is basically where we're at right now. Andy, we're we're but, we're pressed up against it right now. Listen, thanks so much for taking some time for me. As always, appreciate it. And uh, if you want, if you want to be entertained, follow Annie on Twitter at at uh, Sweet Annie. What is it, Sweet Annie O D? That is it. And then on TikTok, it's the same. And and she is a star on TikTok, so don't forget it. Uh, there she goes, Annie O'Donnell from the Odeon Sports Podcast. But when we come back, the host of this show, Jeff Merrick, joins us from Florida. The random player of the day is next. And this was a fun one. You're listening on Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff, who not only has his name on the marquee, but also gets his name on the guest list today. Jeff Merrick joining us from sunny Florida. Jeffrey, how is the weather and how are you? Uh, it's nice until you started bugging me, you and Lance bothering me. It's a beautiful day. Just went for a nice walk on the beach with Elliot. You're going to have a cup of coffee, maybe go for a workout, maybe a jog on the beach. And I got to talk to you instead. Oh, yeah. and by the way, yes. by the way, Sh- Shane Malloy is listening right now. Shane, um, you know, uh, author of the uh, uh, the Art of Scouting has his own podcast. Great guy, great talent evaluator. You know, future manager in the NHL one day he says I should be hearing footsteps because of how well you're doing. So I don't like this, Maddie. I thought the agreement was you co you you fill in for me, but you got to drive the thing into the ship. You got to steer the thing off the road. You got to take it right into the iceberg. And clearly, you're not doing that. I've got Jeff. I have like 54 more minutes to do it. So don't worry. There's still time here. Right. There's plenty All of time. Right, right. Take take. 
Take it into the ditch. Yeah. Take it into the ditch. I just want to know that there's no sirens around you like there was for Elliot during his hit. Just want to make sure that uh, we're clear. Well, we are in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Florida man. Like, Florida man I, did this. Yeah. I we've we've seen a lot of Florida men since we've been here. That <laughs> reputation is well earned and well deserved, Maddie. I love it. We saw some Florida men on the beach, as a matter of fact, this uh, morning. Oh this, yes. This is the most unsurprising thing I've heard on the show today. Um yeah. okay, so random player of the day. Uh, I do have some oh, okay, additions. Good. I do have some additions to yesterday's because of course, Link Gates brought plenty of emails and, and extra stories along with it. But today's is Danny Markov, drafted in the ninth round by the Maple Leafs in 1995. He played 538 games uh, across 13 NHL seasons with the Leafs, Coyotes, Hurricanes, Flyers, Predators, and Red Wings. Uh, maybe best known for his salute of Yarmir Yager following the Leafs eliminating the Penguins <laughs> in the 99 playoffs. But... I spoke with I spoke with a couple people and and the one thing that I got was he was absolutely loved by teammates. Like when he was 21 years old, he ended up fighting Gary Roberts right in front of the Leaf bench and they were just like you're going to fight Gary Roberts and was a wiry guy, wasn't wasn't super big, but he was very strong and I'll tell you my favorite story that I heard they're kind of along the same lines, but he, I was told he smoked and drank like an old school Russian. So the only thing that I can picture is a guy in an Adidas tracksuit with a drink and a smoke in his hand. And that's, that's <laughs> kind of what I got from that. Now he would get, apparently he would get really fired up in between periods. He would scream something in Russian, rip his shoulder pads off, throw them onto the ground. And then he would run into the laundry room at what was then mm -hmm. the air Canada center. Now, teammates for the longest time didn't know what was going on and then they found out he was actually going into the laundry room so that he could light up a cigarette and then he would hit the button on the dryer so that oh, it yeah. would suck up all the fumes so he would have two of those he'd be holding the dryer button suck suck back a couple of cigarettes and then he'd be back out there and mm -hmm. as we know there were a lot of russian players on that particular edition of the leafs there was igor korolev and sergey berezin uh, alexander karpatsev dmitry yuskevich and danny markov and apparently everybody all the russian guys were needing to play like principal for Danny Markov to keep him in line they used to yell in russian at each other and the rest of the players would have no idea what was going on and they would just be like oh and then it would be Danny Markov just basically settling down so everybody would yell at Danny Markov to sell him down but this one this story was my favorite it's another smoking story go figure um a mm. former player was told to go find him i think he was playing in arizona at the time and a former player went to go look for him and the trainer said oh yeah yeah Danny's over there just go into the janitor's closet he's like the janitor's closet so he walks in he opens the door and there's Danny Markov sitting in half gear with a smoke in his in his mouth and the the bucket flipped upside down in the janitor's closet so he could have a smoke in peace. I mean, old school Russian was what I was what I was so, told and I and I yeah. was very very pleased with to hear that this is what Danny Markov was cuz I had no idea. So I always liked Danny Markov. There was that that one season like we've seen obviously we've seen, you know, rookies make the uh, make make the big squad. There was that one year where the Maple Leafs had you remember there were three rookies that made um, that made the Toronto Maple Leafs out of camp. This it was Yannick Tremblay, it was Thomas Caberlet, and it was Danny Markov. Which listen, adding one rookie to the defense is one thing; adding two rookies to the defense is another. Um, but adding three really is remarkable. But 
these guys and you know, Markov had his own unique brand of, of skill slash toughness slash courage. Um, that was a whole other thing. So I had heard from numerous people the uh, the smoking story with the dryer. Um, I think a lot of players did that, Maddie. Like I think that um, I think Mario and Phil Borks told us that when we saw him and we interviewed him for the uh, Winter Classic about Mario having a dart and blowing the smoke into the dryer. I mean that's the uh, that that's the old school trick if you want to smoke in the dressing room. I remember when I used to um, when I used to do the radio show with Waters, the the old Leafs lunch show. I can recall asking him about because Bill would have been there as the assistant general manager, uh, both to welcome him to the trade and then as the assistant GM um, move him to the uh, to the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, Robert Reichel, Travis Green, you know, uh, coming back the other way. I can recall asking Bill like. Why would you like? I know they liked Reichel from the World Championships for one. I know Fletcher liked you know Reichel and everything that he did at the World Championships, what he did on the international stage, and I think the Maple Leafs were hoping he could you know recreate that in the NHL. But you know Reichel needed essentially more ice to make that happen. But remember asking him about the trade, like why would you do that? Like you have this young stud in Danny Markov. There are so few players that play the same way that Markov does. Like let's not forget, like. Markov had a real bite to him. Mm-hmm. Danny Markov had a real edge to him when he played, like, and people really dug it. Um, and I remember Bill uh, told me, he said, look, uh, I'm not going to go into many of the details here, but that was a humanitarian trade. We had to, we had to help Danny Markov and the best way to help Danny Markov at that time was to get him out of town. That one was made to help Danny. Now, Somewhere there is the story. Bill wasn't prepared to, to tell me about it, um, but that was made, I think that was made very much for, for Danny Markov's protection. Can I throw in a quick Link Gate story? Yes. Well, I, yeah, because I want to get, get there. Yeah, yeah, I want to get there. Yeah, go so, ahead. So, uh, unless you got anything more to do on Danny Markov, I don't want to hijack your show, Matty Markov. No, no, no. The only, <laughs> the only thing was was that I, the, the appreciation for Danny Markov as a teammate, like everybody loved, loved him. him. Because Everywhere he went. Yeah, because he, went. he would he was one of those guys that would literally do anything. Like he just wanted to win. That was yes. that was his yes. thing. And I mean yes. the the comp- the player comparison that I got from the person that I spoke to was he reminded me a lot of Vladimir Konstantinov. Uh, that's high praise, man. It is. Konstantinov was was one of the greats. Yeah. Markov was fearless. You're right. Would do anything to win. Great teammate. Guys loved him. Uh, to, to be honest with you, I really wish there were more players like him still in the game. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you another one. So, I'm in Florida. Florida Panthers All Star. All of it. And I was talking to someone the other day, and I promised. I mentioned this on the podcast that just came out that I wouldn't. I, as a promise to Emil Delich our podcast producer, I wouldn't say where we went when we first got here or what we were doing or who we talked to because he's got something up his sleeve that he wants to put together. Uh Uh-oh. But I talked to someone here in Fort Lauderdale, and it's someone that knows the Panthers very well. And no, it's not Doug McLean before you also say, (laughs) oh, you just went over to, you went to Doug's condo, didn't you? No, we didn't go to Doug's condo. Um uh, you know, we, we talked, you know, the, the, the one name we kept coming back to, and he did play for the Maple Leafs as well. Uh, someone who was that type of old school European toughness mm-hmm. was Robert, Robert Schwaler. Yeah. Like we've forgotten some really great players from the not so distant past players that, you know, just retired in the last like 15 years or so that were really good. And we don't really have players like 
Robert Shvela anymore. Like players that seem impervious to pain. Like I don't know that I have that I've seen players. I don't think I've seen anyone or many at all like Robert Shvela. Not just block shots, but you know, block shots either in like the face or the head or like the side of the knee and stay in the game. Like where most guys are like, okay, my, my night is done. And Danny Markoff is kind of that same way as well. Yeah. Um, everyone feels pain. It's just a matter of how do you manage it. And the old school, like that old school Shvela Markoff way of dealing with it was, I'll deal with it after the game. We have a game to play here. There is one great Shvela, I hate to do this to you, Matt. There is one great Shvela story that we heard, um, but we have to save it for this project that Delich has pitched. But okay. Mar- Markov, I, I, I think the game is better with players like Markov in it. I, and I'll be honest with you. I think that's part of the attraction for a player like Arbor Jacki. Yes. The Montreal Canadiens, the mm-hmm. guy that will defy odds, the guy that will do anything, will fight anything, will jump in front of any puck, will do anything to play hockey. I know the premium is on skill. And that's great. And that's what the whole game is based on. But man, it really tugs at your emotional heartstrings. And that's, I think, what is part of the flypaper of a sport like hockey, which maybe we take for granted and might want to see more of in the game. You know, those guys that are absolutely fearless, like those are the ones that like, we keep thinking of, oh, sacrifice for the team, sacrifice for the team. Markov was that guy. Shvela was like that for uh, that guy. You mentioned Dmitry Yaskevich. Yaskevich mm-hmm. was that guy yep. as well. Man, I just, again, I'm going to sound old here. I wish there were more guys like that in the league now. And yeah. I do realize I do, I do sound like old man Shakespeare to this guy when I do say things like that. Uh, it's funny because I think back on that Leafs team, Alexander Karpatsov used to be the same. He used to block shots like crazy. I, that was, a, that, remember, was yeah. that was an underrated blue line. Like they, they had a lot of sacrifice on that blue line. Well, then there's the other thing. Like if you can't, you know, make a play. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's the only thing you can do is just dive in front of the puck. Just, uh, just put you know, your face in front of it. Just block the puck, dummy. Just you don't have to be smart to stand in front of a puck. Actually, it's better if you're not smart. Um, link gates, real quick. So you did yes. link gates yesterday. Yes, I got I, some beauties. I, a lot I, I couldn't tell on saw, the air. Oh, there's a lot of those. There's <laughs> a lot of those. I remember in the old uh, Quebec semi pro league uh, where he finished up. I believe like he was scratched a number of games in a row. And finally, he just got frustrated. I think he got in like two fights and then was benched for the rest of the game. And he went into the concourse and got like two or three hot dogs with a couple of fans, like bought hot dogs for everybody or whatever, and sat behind the bench eating hot dogs while the game was going on. I think that was his last pro game, I believe. Um, I'm sure you told the story about, you know, showing up at the draft with the two black eyes. Oh, yeah. who was going to be the, the protection for Mike Medano. And like, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness. The great Lou Nanny just- line. Did, did you get to the story about how Lou, Lou Nanny met him in the in the hotel afterwards? And he no. had the two cases that we well, had like a case of beer on each arm, and he thanked him for drafting him with two cases of beer. He's taken <laughs> up to the room and he said, "When when's training camp?" <laughs> <laughs> so the the best part about this was so like I had I had Stelic on yesterday when I was doing it because he had drafted Ty Domi the same year that Link Gates was drafted, and John Brophy yeah. said we got to get this Gates guy. So they drafted Domi, and then he wanted Link yeah. Gates on top of Ty Domi as well. Oh, yeah. And the North Stars ended up taking uh, Link Gates at, with the 40th pick, I think it was. So, yes, so I had a couple of stories that came in. One was that this was from a former teammate, and he told me that a veteran player was was basically tasked with the, the project of 
keeping an eye on link gates and rooming with them and whatever. And he was asked and he was asked how that was going. And he said, I don't know if I need to sleep with one eye open. And I think I may need a new roommate. So so there was that, (laughs) but this one, so this was a, um, one of our listeners emailed in, uh, Christian Jeffkins played with with Link Gates, or he played against him in the LNAH, and then he says he ended yeah. up playing senior hockey in the Maritimes because that was halfway through the year he left to play whatever. So he lands yeah. in in St. John's, and there is Link Gates playing in this semi pro oh. league, and he said that um, they're playing a game. The coach came in in the intermission and was asked where Link Gates was. Ten seconds later, he walks in the room with a beer and a hot dog. He literally oh, yeah. didn't care as the other team's tough guy was hurt. Jeff, he actually sat on the bench with his shower sandals on and his helmet. <laughs> you know you know who's got good, good stories? I remember talking to him once about Link Gates was Bob McGill because they would have overlapped in San Jose. Yes. The, um, the other one um, from Gates, so this would be, and I have this, one, one of these days, Maddie, I swear, I, I promise I make this vow. I'm going to organize all of my hockey, uh, all of my hockey tapes. Like for the longest time, I was part of like a hockey fight tape trading ring that goes back to the 80s. Uh, and I've got a lot of friends, mainly through the Society for International Hockey Research, um, who we've been all involved in like, you know, video trading and clip trading for, a, I got to organize all of it. But somewhere... I've got a game between Spokane and Saskatoon from the Western Hockey League. And this is when Tony Twist ran the show and ran the Western Hockey League. And listen, Twister was like super tough in the NHL as well. Um, And just like there are a few people that you meet, like guys that were in that profession of fighting in the National Hockey League. You'll meet very few who just loved everything about it. Yes. Like there are plenty of things that were scary, the sleepless nights, the constant pain, all of it. Uh, And then there were some you meet that just loved all of it. And Tony Twist was that guy to the point where I think that he was like after his career, he bought a bar, I think in St. Louis. And like he's well off. He made his money. But because he enjoyed fighting so much, he worked as a bouncer <laughs> at his own bar. Like, think about that for one second. I could take a anyway. break from this, but I'd rather just, I'd rather just beat people up. Yeah, it's like I made all my money, but like the the beating up part, you know, around the velvet rope is kind of, is kind of fun. Like, you put on the black gloves, and here we go. Um, uh, there's a fight that I have with Link Gates, would have been playing Spokane at that time, and, and Tony Twist, and they would always go because I was like, okay, this is the heavyweight, this is the heavyweight battle. Like, once upon a time. The younger fans will never experience this because it doesn't happen anymore. But whether it was in the NHL with like, I don't know, Bob Probert and Troy Crowder, for example, you knew when, you know, Probert and Crowder's team were going to play against each other, that was going to be one of the attractions. Yeah. And when Spokane played Saskatoon, you knew one of the attractions was going to be Link Gates against Tony Twist. There was something that happened in this fight that I've never seen before, and it's almost cartoonish, Maddie. And even thinking back on it, as violent as it was, I have to giggle. So the fight, it's a spotlight fight, center ice, the whole deal. And they're kind of going all over, almost like, you know, Probert McSorley style. And they get to right beside the penalty box, and Link Gates hits Tony Twist so hard. Like, this punch comes from the cellar and lands. I've never seen this before. Have you ever seen anyone get punched and the helmet pops straight up in the air? It's cartoon style. Like, Twist's <laughs> helmet just goes, pops up through the air and, and lands in the penalty box. And even thinking about it now, I'm like, okay, A, that's really violent, and two, really not great for Tony Twist 
brains and I hope that he can, you know, still tie his shoes. Um, but I had never seen that before. A helmet, he got hit so hard, the helmet flew straight up, um, you know, Bugs, Bugs Bunny style. Like if you had like, you know, Warner Brothers cartoon and they were choreographing a hockey fight, the helmet would fly straight up and you'd be okay. That doesn't really happen. It's a cartoon. In this fight, it really did. He was scary, man. He was a scary, scary. I've always, because Link Gates has always existed in the realm of Ogie Oglethorpe. Yes. Right? Where is he going to pop up? Which team is he going to? Nah, he's suspended. Like, <laughs> he, like He's always been that guy. So for that person to reach out to you and said that he played with him in the LNH, no surprise, saw him in the you know, uh, uh, senior leagues in the, in the Maritimes, no surprise, because that guy floated from team to team to team. I always wondered how people were able to get in touch with him because he seemed like you know the hockey nomad who was bouncing all over North America just looking for someone who would employ him to, to scrap a couple of times. I always wonder what becomes of those guys. Like in that movie, the chiefs, I always wondered uh, what happened to Tim Levesque. Mm-hmm. Like, where is he? Like what? And like, I, I want a closure on that story. Like, is he okay? Where is he living? He becomes sort of a tragic figure in that chiefs documentary. And I always wonder where Link Gates is now. Okay, and so like what what becomes of him? Okay, Do you know where he is now. Well, I got an email about this. So this oh. is the beauty of this segment and and JM show at Sportsnet.ca. If you have any more information about the missing link, um, I I got an email saying that he had been and may be living in Edmonton right now. Okay, and what is he doing in Edmonton? That was not that information. I was not given. The person said, "Please do not mention my name." So, I, so I'm not going to put their name out there. <laughs> They're still scared of them. Still, don't, don't mention my name around Link Gates. So, I'm not giving you any information about Link Gates. Yeah, like I, here, the, the common thread that I got from talking to a few people about him was you can't yeah. use this for air. That was the common mm-hmm. thread. And I was like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to. Some of the stories were absolutely incredible. I couldn't believe uh, it. There's, there's a lot of arrests stories there's a lot yeah. of beating did you, did you hear about the one you know breaking into the restaurant did you hear that one no i haven't heard that one, one? No, <laughs> no, okay I well you didn't hear it from me and if link gates isn't uh isn't uh if link gates is listening right now my name is matt marchese yeah i was i the one i read was when he fought nick fatiu who was his coach in the minors he fought him in somebody's living room because nick said okay it's time to wrap it up it's time to go home he was like he was like holding the team hostage or some players hostage in the house just by being link gates and being a scary figure and nick yeah. Fatiu said and nope grabs the ball he says time to go and then they fought in the person's living room so so yeah that, link, that, Nicky, and nick was he nick was, was a golden gloves boxer golden yeah. gloves boxer no one wanted to mess with him i you know still one of the great non-fights of all time is nick Fatiu and marty mcsorley almost squaring off, but neither one really want to get close enough to engage. And I think Marty, I'm going to ask Marty about this one day, like what's going through your head when you're, when you're finally knuckling up with the legend, Nick Fatiu, because no, trust me, nobody at that time wanted to mess with Nick Fatiu. No, but I can see I can see Link Gates going for it. I don't think you really care. Yeah. The one thing that I was surprised to hear was uh, more than a couple of people talked about the skill set. Like he actually, like somebody, I think it was, I think it was Nick Fatiu that in this thing I read that he said, like, he could have been like a Darren, Darian Hatcher, like big, nasty guy. He just, you know, the, the phrase that was given to me by a former teammate was he was the Bronco that could never be tamed. 
Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. That's oh, good. There's okay. a lot of time on Link Gates. This yeah, fun. yeah, and we spent a, a couple minutes on him yesterday. So lots of stories. I said to I said to Stelic yesterday that for a guy that only played, I think it was 65 games in the NHL, like his Legend. his place in hockey history will never ever be forgotten because, like, well, listen, he could have he could have set the NHL penalty minute record had he played a full season in San Jose. Well, part of it is he's got a really great name. Yes. Like if he was just psycho and his name was like, you know, John Smith. Yeah. John, John Smith or like, you know, uh, Duncan Washington. Okay. Like it's like, okay. But like link gates, like when you have a a nickname, when you have a name that allows your nickname to be the missing link, like the legend just kind of grows here. Like it was a perfect name for a tough guy in the NHL. Yeah, it really was. And the, the draft day picture is of legend. That is the two black eyes. Two black eyes at the draft. (laughs) It's so good. Uh, Okay, so if you have any uh, random players of the day, we got another good group that was sent in. So it's a jam show at sportsnet.ca. Send those in, and uh, and we'll get to them. I or we will try to get to them because there are a lot. Um, Just a couple minutes left with you. I wanted to ask you about the whole Vegas Mm. situation. So Mark Stone's out. Like before before this break. I'm not going to lie. I didn't really have Vegas uh, top of mind. I'm like, everybody's like, yeah, you know, they, they could make a play for somebody and because it's Vegas, but now that possibility just became a little bit more real. Yeah. Did they become the story of the post all-star break? Vegas is always the story. True. Like, can you, can you think of it? I was thinking about this this morning, Matt. I'm glad you brought this up. I was thinking about today. Can you think of a time since Vegas joined the NHL that you can say, yeah, it's really quiet in Vegas. No. Like oh yeah, there's nothing nothing going on in Vegas. Like it is, there it is always a story. They're in the middle of everything, and because it's Vegas, everything is larger than life. Um, yeah, they're definitely one of the teams. Like I think we're all watching now. Um, you know, Elliot and I had this conversation last night about. Listen, we know there's a lot of acrimony um, between the San Jose Sharks and the Vegas Golden Knights from, you know, various encounters in the playoffs. And I know that, you know, Vegas fans weren't exactly, or uh, uh, Vegas fans weren't exactly thrilled when Peter DeBoer uh, exited San Jose and went to Vegas. So that's the San Jose coach will never accept. I remember having this conversation with Daniel Negreanu, who's obviously a huge uh, Vegas Golden Knights fan. I think there were a lot of Vegas fans that were, uh, that were upset about that. Um, but I, I wonder about Timo Meyer. Me too. Now, if Mark Stone is out. Do we have another? Do, do we now have another candidate in the in the Timo Myers sweepstakes here? Like I, I think that the the Maple Leafs would love. I don't know how they would do it, um, cap wise. I know that they would love. I strongly right. I should phrase these things correctly. I strongly suspect. How about that? That the Maple Leafs would love to make that one work. Don't know how they would be able to do it, but that would answer a lot of questions here for him. Um, I think that New Jersey seems like the obvious one. And if it does happen, we can look at it and say, well, that's kind of expected. And it makes a lot of sense uh, from a, what they need and B, you know, trying to corner the market on Swiss hockey players, see, he sure see, see, but anytime like that, here's, here's the thing too. I think you also have to look at the temperament of the general manager. And what do we know about Kelly McCrimmon? He's aggressive, he's bold. Yeah. He's aggressive. He's bold. He's brave. He's always been this way going back to junior when he, you know, owned and, and ran the branded Wheat Kings. Like Kelly McCrimmon is not shy. Kelly McCrimmon 
likes to be active and Kelly McCrimmon. And a lot of this is, you know, you get the full support of ownership who's just like Stanley Cup or be damned. We talk about things like the ruthless pursuit of the Stanley Cup. That is Vegas. And first of all, I should have mentioned this off the top. I really hope that Mark Stone gets back. To, first of all, I hope he gets back to health. One, two, I hope he gets back to playing. Uh, I think you're probably on the same page too. Like he's one of my favorite players. I think of, you know, two-way two way wingers that really profoundly changed the game. We'd certainly, we think of Bob Gainey. Um, later, we can think about, um, you know, players like Gary Lettinen. And I think we think about players now like Markswell, Marion Hossa. I mean, you know, uh, you know 200-foot players on the wing. It's, I know it's hard to win a Selkie Trophy uh, when you're a winger because you don't have the same responsibilities as a center. But, you know, I, I still think that it's a shame that throughout Marion Hossa's career he never won a sulky trophy he should have um and it's unfortunate that through mark stone's career he hasn't won a sulky trophy and he should have as well i hope that he gets back to health for his own sake and i hope he gets back to health selfishly because i just love watching the guy and he's got one of the wildest this is going to sound weird hold on just work with me one of the wildest knobs you've ever seen (laughs) that stick is crazy I think, Lance just, I think Lance just cut that clip. <laughs> I did that deliberately for Lance. <laughs> uh, no, the, the knob on his stick is fantastic. Um, so, yeah. It's like a goalie knob, isn't it? It's enormous. I don't know how he holds it. I don't know how he holds the top hand. But obviously it works for him. He's one of the best players in the game. Yeah, you can't, can't um, mess with that. Yeah, listen, expect Vegas to be frisky at trade deadline time. Uh, if they, you know, if they, they do indeed, because it does sound like... You know, at least for this season, we probably won't be seeing Mark Stone. That just opens. Like once upon a time, we thought it would be you know Vegas would add some depth to their to their team. And I think you know the name that we all looked at was Nolachari. I I think they're I think they're 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 fishing in deeper waters here for a bigger catch. I think they're I think they're going out as I as I look out my out my hotel room and see the Atlantic Ocean. I think they're going out deeper. Uh, so you can't see them from the shore. I think that's the uh, the fishing territory they're fishing in now. Okay, so you mentioned Toronto. They would, you know, there 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 may be an appetite to add a player like Timo Meyer. Now, the, their cap situation makes it a little bit difficult. Not a little bit. It makes it a lot difficult to sign him to an extension. Could you see a situation where the Toronto Maple Leafs trade for Timo Meyer for this run and then try and flip him in the offseason? Uh, I know that's really pie in the sky. It, it's 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 possible, I, I suppose. I mean, it's also possible that, you know, if Lou Lamarillo can't get a deal done with Bo Horvat, he retains another 25% and you move Horvat on to another team essentially for half the price because Vancouver's retaining as well. Um, I mean, I guess you could, I, I would imagine. But, I mean, if you have – I mean, your preference is obviously – to have someone like Timo Meyer in the mix. Um, I don't know. Like I, there's, there's some high price help that, you know, the Maple Leafs could move out to accommodate a Timo Meyer contract. So, I mean, I guess anything is possible. And if you're Kyle Dubas, I think the one thing we know that Kyle has to be here come deadline time to compete with Boston and, and Tampa and say nothing else about the, you know, what else is happening in the Eastern conference. You have to be creative so I don't think it would be sane to shut down any possibilities for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, I really don't. I think you look at this and you say, Dubas has got to be creative and whatever it takes to bring in a player that you know, you're going to need, I think you explore it.
Yeah, I think so too. Listen, uh, you've been very gracious with the time on your own show. I mean, Monday you'll be back and hosting it. I actually haven't. I've been I've been I've been going cheap on the show. I've been around for three days. Apparently, they 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 got my name off the uh, off the billboard now. There's a couple of M's in there. Like, holy smokes, what's going on here? My, I, I can't get back fast enough. My family appreciates you taking vacation so that they get to see me on TV, <laughs> Jeff. No, they appreciate because I'm getting you out of the house, Maddie. The, hey, the was, you know what? I'm appreciative I, of it too. I worked that deal out with your wife. Like, yeah. dude, like you you punt to Florida for a few days. Get Maddie out of the house. Yeah, she's probably not unhappy with that. So, I mean, you're probably right. Uh, safe trip back, buddy, and uh, we'll thanks, see bud. you back in the, uh, on the show on Monday. Okay, thanks for keeping it warm, man. Uh, and listen, I say this, like, legit. Like, I've had a lot of comments on Twitter saying, you better hurry back, Merrick. You're getting, uh, uh, you're getting, uh, oh, oh, God, I'm blanking on the guy's name. Wally Pipped. I'm getting Wally Pipped. Yeah, the problem is, is Wally Pipped didn't show up. Like, he showed up, but he didn't really show up again. Now, you keep coming back. That's the problem, uh, Jeff. I'm bad cat. Florida, Florida's nice back. this time of year. Florida's nice this time of year, Jeff. You know. Uh, it's gorgeous. I'm going to go dip my toes in the ocean when I'm done with you. You do that. Go dip your toes in the ocean. Enjoy your the rest of your time there because it's cold when you get back. Thanks, All right, there I you know. go. My, my, my wife sent me to know Dash 23. Yeah, I'm in a real hurry to get back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big, Thanks, yeah, yeah. Scary. Good, All right, buddy. See you later. There he goes. Jeff Merrick, the usual host of this show uh, with his name in the marquee. Jeff Merrick. Um before we take a break, I did want to get to a tweet that was sent to me. Um, this one from uh, Kevin Medland, uh, who's saying that I'm squawking about the weather in Toronto, um, saying that it's minus 24 in Kenora. Um, Kevin, I hate to break it to you, but it was minus 24 when I left my house this morning in the North Pole, which is not far from where you are in Kenora. So it's it's cold here. Okay, It's cold wherever. I'm sorry. Uh, when we come back, uh, Mike Fuda NHL on Sportsnet analyst and former NHL executive, Stanley Cup champion, all of that, one of my favorites. We're going to talk about preparations for the trade deadline from a front office perspective and what goes into that, what kind of surprises you get down the stretcher when players become available, all that and more on the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptors Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Final segment of the week, the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in. Jeff's back on Monday. I, I did find somebody on Twitter that wants me fired. Oh, Lance, Lance, don't send me that stuff. Come on. Yeah, I don't know who this person was. I mean, you can talk to the bosses. They're here. Uh, Mike Fuda, NHL and sports analyst, former NHL executive, Stanley Cup champion, my friend, your friend, as he joins me on the line now. Okay, so you said that I should give Merrick a chum necklace so that when he goes and swims in the ocean that some shark may get him. Is that what you're saying, Mike? Or numerous sharks. Yeah, I guess at that point it would be numerous sharks. Okay, well, so you're, do, you're doing a good job. I mean, an amazing job. And I, did he, was he a scheduled guest or did he call in? No, no, he was. I actually did schedule him because I wanted okay. to get the random player of the day was his was his idea, his brainchild. So I figured I'd get him on to wrap up the week with it because um, you know he's a busy guy. Him and Elliot. And uh, here's what I do know. You said I did an excellent, been doing an excellent job. I know you're not the guy that tweeted me that said I should be fired. 
No. Okay. No, 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 no. And I want to thank you very much uh, yesterday for your wonderful shout-out for my dad when my mom and I were just getting into the, the car to go pick him up at the hospital, and it was very, very kind of you. Well, so any, there's been a lot lots of prayers. Anything for the feud, as you know that. We go. We. I mean, well, we don't go back a long way. We go back a fair bit, but it's more like my dad used to tell me stories about playing ball hockey games because that guy was so good. Must have been at Woodbridge well, Memorial okay. Arena. Uh, Keelsdale. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, I remember Keelsdale. And I had that. I had that last name that I could get away with being Italian, although I wasn't. So <laughs> it worked out well for everybody. It's, but anyways, I just wanted to give a quick shout out. He's uh, he's resting comfortably. Uh, he's a warrior. He's a battler. Uh, it's one of those decisions when you make to have a to have a heart procedure, and I think I, the analogy I use best is when, you know, it's a hard decision because you're going to go through a lot of pain, and this guy's an athlete, right, mm-hmm. and he does faculty. So if someone tells you you're going to get 85 grand when you go into the surgery and you come out and you find out, you know, maybe you only got 25 grand or 30 grand, your competitive nature kind of kicks in and you forget that there was some positive positive things made. So we're, he's going to be fine. He's just got to rehab, and uh, we've got to, Look after my mom as well and just make sure he gets back to normal so we can get on that golf course and get back to his regular healthy habits. Well, John, we're pulling for you. We love you over here on the Jeff Merrick Show, John. Um, and, of course, Mike, you know we love you too. Um, your second <laughs> fiddle today, though. <laughs> um, okay, so I wanted, to, I wanted to touch on something because I've always been interested about kind of the process for as you approach trade deadlines. So we're, we're uh, a month away today. And as we look at, you know, at this point, there's not usually any surprises like your pro scouts have been doing this all season and your, your amateur scouts and you're going through the process. But I guess what I'm asking is, are there any surprises at this point in the year? Like, do you get to a point where, you know, you kind of know who's available and, and, or, or do you, or is there sometimes a surprise where it's like, Oh, we didn't, we didn't think that guy was available and we need to, we need to start doing our homework on them now. Uh, no, I mean, well, the list is there for you to look at, and it's the amateur list as well. Uh, and I give you an example when in Los Angeles, you, and every general manager has a different. Like, uh, Brian Burke said it best that these aren't. You're just not starting to talk to people just now. Uh, in certain cases, you don't want to call and and embarrass people that are you know they're supposed to be having better years and and aren't where they want to be as a franchise to see who's available. You've got to be patient that way. But I mean, in a case when we were dealing with the Leafs. Uh, with regards to you know to trading Jake Muzzin um, and, a, and a first round pick, I believe it was, and we had the amateur list out, and it was really critical. And it came down to the you know it was before the deadline because Blakey liked to get his work done early, but we had a really internal discussion on two prospects. One was a, a, a Russian who I can't remember his name was playing in Guelph, and the other was Sean Dursey. And our amateur staff clearly, clearly, clearly had Dursey ahead. And it took a lot of conversations, a big call with George Burnett at the time to take Jersey ahead of the other player. And you obviously you see how that's turned out. So it's really critical for management. Although they're the guys finally that has to pull the trigger. And, uh, and, and they've got to have that relationship where they're doing the negotiations and the, and the grinding that you've really got to trust the list. And it, it, it could be one player back and forth. But if, if you've got your list right and you pull a right, right prospect, all of a sudden you might have a Sean Dursey as opposed to the other kid who hasn't played a game in the NHL. So I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to embarrass him, but that's a key. It's key to have your list right and to be able to trust your staff and to be able to pull the trigger. Because, again, even if you're trading for a pick, uh, the value of that pick, if you make a team substantially better, that first-round pick over the next few months could change 10 slots in a draft. 
And sometimes that's why you want to wait closer to the deadline because you have a better idea if you're trading for a pick in the draft this year, you know exactly where that pick lies because if it changes seven spots to the negative because you've made a team significantly better, that obviously is going to drive down the value of that pick come, uh, come draft day. So there's many facets that go into it, including health, injuries. You've got players with no move clauses that, you know, you don't want to get embarrassed. I mean, last year, a couple of years ago, uh, Winnipeg was all in on a guy, a Canadian player who wouldn't waive his no trade to come to Winnipeg, and he ended up uh, going to Colorado. So there's a lot of facets that go into it. But again, uh, these are busy times for managers. Uh, and again, especially with the tightness of the races, and some teams, they can say, like, for example, a team that's, you know, Seattle, I think, still as good as they are this year. They're still playing with a little house money. There's no need to, you know, go all in on a, on a, a huge break, a, a deadline player. But there's some other teams that have different expectations from their fan base this year that are have some big decisions whether they're going to be buyers or sellers at the deadline. Well, is, was there ever a situation where you're – you find out about a player like so for example the guy that i keep circling back to because i'm not sure he's available right now but if things continue the way they are in their negotiations he may be available and that's dylan larkin like has there ever been a guy where you know a couple weeks before the deadline you just you find out it's a it's a really unexpected player that becomes available and that kind of changes your course as a front office to okay now we're pivoting to this guy because he just became the best player available Oh, and 100%, and he's not a rental. I mean, there's so much goes into that. And, I mean, structurally, for example, I'll give you two examples. And you really got to be honest, honest with yourself. And we, after winning a couple Stanley Cups and feeling that, that victory that we can, we can overcome anything, there was a, a, you know, we were banged up at the deadline, and Slava Voyanov wasn't coming back, and uh, Jonathan Quick was banged up, and we made a, a decision to pay a premium price for Ben Bishop when we really weren't as good as we thought we were. And uh, we ended up throwing Richard Cernak into the deal uh, with Tampa Bay. And Richard Cernak turned out to be a pretty darn good defenseman for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And we came in and we didn't get where we wanted in the playoffs. And we'd given up assets trying to keep that, you know, a chase for a third Stanley Cup. And it turned around that should have been a year that we had held tight and kept our assets and and, and, and fought, uh, lived to live another fight for the following year. Uh, last year in Carolina, you know, there was a decision made internally. And, hey, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to complain. That is why I think they're the odds-on favorite for me to win the Stanley Cup this year, the way that team's been built. Mm-hmm. But there's just, a, uh, there's just an internal uh, mechanism that you don't want to give up a lot of assets for a rental player. So now whether they change that process this year, that was last year something that concerned us looking at players you know, like a Giordano or a Deloria that might have been, at the time, a rental player, and you don't want to give up assets, uh, especially when you're loaded with assets, for players that might only be there for a few months. Yeah, and that, the, the interesting one for me is because they acquired Max Pacioretty in the off season, and he gets hurt. He's done for the rest of the year. So that, that to me, is maybe why, if you're the organization, you could look to pivot. Like, I keep focusing on Timo Meyer with the Hurricanes because they they would like to add some scoring punch. But like you said, they're a really, really good team. Like, I don't think people give them enough credit. I know they're first in their division, but everybody keeps pointing at Boston. And while I think Boston is really good, I don't think that Carolina is that much further away. Like, I could make the argument that even though they have McAvoy and Lindholm, from top to bottom, I still like Carolina's defense group better. 
Well, my argument with Carolina, and it was, again, it was a positive argument, is, and it wasn't anybody I drafted. I think two of the most underrated players in hockey, it's not so much underrated anymore, were Slavin and Pesci. Yeah. And they're on such team-friendly contracts that, as, you know, Marshawn said, that if you don't capitalize on these guys on these contracts, the window's not as large as it seems. So eventually Slavin's going to become, whether he's a, whether he's a 5 or $6 million player, I don't know off the top of my head, He's going to be, whether he wants it or not, he's going to be a $10 million defenseman, right? So you've got these guys. So for me, you got to capitalize on a little bit smaller window because these guys are going to get paid. And that's why I think now, especially with the unfortunate injury of Pacioretty, they're probably going to be open up to a deal uh, to bring in somebody. But it would not surprise me if I was a player coming in there and knowing how good they are and how good they're going to be, that I would look to, uh, when you look at like the Horvat situation, how they it seems to be pointing that, Although they gave up those assets, he's going to be there long term. So if I'm a player that wants to finish my career in a place that I have a chance to play, uh, I'd be having that talk with Carolina. Yeah, you give up the assets and I might appear as a rental, but I'm signing here long term. A la la Mark Giordano. And I'm going to take a bit friendly contract and I'm going to finish my year as a hurricane. And every year over the next few years, I'm going to be competing for a Stanley Cup. So it's a kind of win-win situation. doesn't mean it's easy, but they're going to have that cap money on Pacioretty. Uh, better he gets injured before the deadline than after the, after the deadline when that that money's not usable. Yeah, like you look at Slavin's at five point three. They got Burns because San Jose took off some money, so he's at five point two eight. Brady Shea's at five point two five, and Brett Pesci's at four point zero two five. Like that's yeah, I look that's at pretty each good. Those guys are they're probably looking at about a three million dollar bump each. Yeah, on the market value based on their their the way they've played and performed. Yeah, and they and. Uh, and, and they, and, the next- and again, they got to stay healthy. And the biggest question, too, I mean, Freddie Anderson's got to come up and play big in the playoffs. For like sure. Last For year, sure. Uh, last year, I think we're talking a lot more about the success of the Carolina Hurricanes. Like, Freddie gets hurt, doesn't play a playoff game. Uh, coming off a year where he's being talked about winning the Vesna, you know, Ranta comes in and, uh, and, and stands on, you know, he does very well, but he didn't play up to the level of Freddie. And then the dark horse there is, I wouldn't, be worried at one I'm not even take a shot at pronouncing his name but the Russian kid that came up and played this year and last year in the playoffs I would have no problem with him starting the playoffs for me this year. there you go yeah. he's that good uh, but uh, I think and that's just gives to the depth and the job that they've done with their scouting department too because to have all these big pieces and homegrown defensemen and the way Ahu's developing and and Shvechnikov and 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 Nikash now you know you've got a stud coming in that Right, and, and and this kid's a competitor too. So, and you've got arguably the best coach in hockey in Rod Brindamore. So, lots of good things there with Donnie Waddell and his group. And I would not want to play just as somebody said. Uh, it was, uh, I know the Bruins are having this year, and the Leafs are a great team, but it'd, it'd be a team I wouldn't want to look at in a seven-game series if they're healthy and feel really good about getting through it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Mike Fuda, NHL and Sportsnet analyst, former NHL executive and Stanley Cup champion, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. So the, the Bo Horvat deal kind of kicked things off. And I mean, I was kind of surprised that it was the Islanders. But I mean, at the end of the day, they've given themselves enough time that if he doesn't resign and they kind of fall out of it, they could still deal him and eat some money. The, the question that I had, because we talk about the cap a lot, there's just so many teams that are pressed up against it. How often, I mean... 
or do you do you believe that this is the year of potential three team trades? I know that they can be very complex. And do you think that maybe that's why some teams will try and get business done early because it's going to take a third team to make some of the money work and and because of the difficulty of those deals, it's not something that can necessarily be done on deadline day. Well, but it's also the longer you can accrue some cap space, it, it sometimes it, it 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 helps to it helps to get you know to to wait and and, and eat up some more money and gain some more money. But I I don't I mean obviously there's certain teams that are sitting there like I mean Arizona always seems to be a you know a bank that people want to stop on the way to the like I'm sure that there's going to be teams that are going to have that kind of cap space they're going to have to come and play to make anything possible to park some of that money. It's not as easy as just saying, you know, okay, we'll eat half of Kane's contract, eat half of Tay's contract. Some of these teams are going to have to move players out. Like, obviously, I feel bad because the kid's playing well, but everybody seems to think anything the least do. Kerfoot's got to be going the other way. And, you know, there's got to be space going as well as the other teams got to eat half. And it's just not – there's a price that goes to pay. And the guys that are the busiest guys right now are the – are the salary cap managers or the capologists because they're critical right now because every dollar is going to count. And again, uh, you can't, you can throw a trade up on the wall that might work out for you, but one, you got to find a, a partner that one likes your player that you want to move, the prospect that you want to move, and then you've got to figure out the dollars and cents. So again, when we talk about the Leafs, the star player out of Minnesota that nobody wants them to move, uh, if I'm another team, I'm not budging. If the Leafs, if there's a target out there the Leafs want, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting the stud out of Minnesota. So it's just, it's going to take some real, real patience on behalf of the general managers to to make the moves possible. And again, it's not on your timeline because if you you're getting calls from multiple teams, and obviously there's multiple teams that are going to contend this year you're not in such a hurry to, to make a deal for the one team that wants to come in early unless that team's willing to throw extra chips on the table and overpay and give you a reason to make an early deal. Yeah, I mean, listen, if there's a time that teams overpay, it's absolutely at the trade deadline. Every, well, every defenseman goes for a first-round pick. Well, and it's the thing is everybody, I know it's like now living in Toronto that it's like everybody's got the guy that they know the Leafs need. It's going to be a perfect fit, but there's a lot of other teams out there that are as good or in the same ballpark. I think I think the one thing about this trade deadline is it could produce the next champion. I, I think the teams are so close that if the right player or the right guy that just catches fire at the right time goes to the uh, to the Bruins or or to the Leafs or to Tampa, it's going to change things dramatically because we just see how close these teams are right now. And again. The other things that are out of their control, and I'm not wishing upon anybody. I mean, it's just a natural thing. If, I, if I'm going to lose Matt, Matt, Austin Matthews, it's better to do it now. But you do see the difference when you lose a franchise player. And if it happens after a trade deadline, it just changes things so dramatically for your chances at success in a seven-game series. And, uh, and again, there's no franchise other than the Leafs that their gauge is, I mean, getting out of the first round is not the success that this team is going to be measured by. It's obvious. It's it's a must, but this team is so good and so balanced that they got it. They've got to go a little further than one round. Yeah, yeah. For this, for the sanity of all of Leaf fans. Uh, listen, Mike, we're we're pressed up against it. Hey, um, can I give you a quick? Do you have one second? Yeah, I've got thirty for a, seconds. For a, 
I got missing link story. Yes, quickly. Because missing link, he used to stay at home when he was living with his roommates, and his roommates would come home, and he would be opening and reading their mail. And if you <laughs> asked him why he opened your mail, he would fill you in and leave you. <laughs> he would leave you in a mess. In a heap for reading your own personal mail. So when you say this guy's a great guy because he signs kids' jerseys and stuff, he likes to sign autographs, that's like saying, you know, Charles Manson tipped the guy that put the swastika on his forehead. This was one tough dude, okay? <laughs> and not the nicest guy to be around. So have a great day, Maddie. Love you. Oh, there he goes, Mikey. Thank you so much for that. Oh, th there is an endless amount of Linkgate stories, apparently. Incredible. Uh, that'll do it for us on the Jeff Merrick Show for Friday, February the 3rd. Uh, what a week it was. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate you joining along and, and chiming in on the show. Uh, thank you to our guests today, Elliot Friedman and Annie O'Donnell in the first hour, and then the host of this show, the regular host of this show, who will be back on Monday, uh, Jeff Merrick. Uh, also, thanks for joining us. And, and Mike Fuda, NHL on Sportsnet analyst, former NHL executive, Stanley Cup champion, and uh, one of my favorite people. And again, another shout out to his dad, John, who is recovering from uh, heart surgery. All the best to, to Mike and the rest of the Fuda family. Uh, that's it for us, for Lance Behind the Glass, for Frank Baraska. Appreciate everybody hopping on this week. We'll be back on Monday. I'll be back in the producer chair. You've been listening to The Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese signing off on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now.